I have said this many times, they will study these past few years in terms of sociology, in terms of the interactions between human beings. Because it's nothing new, sadly, but it really is right in front of us in a way that we probably think, we're modern, we don't do that, we don't treat human beings this way. Welcome to Plusterclucks with Lynn Lyons, where we talk about how to manage those tricky emotions that show up in all families. Serious stuff without being too serious. I'm your co-host, Robin, and I'm Lynn's sister-in-law, and I'm here to ask your questions. And I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author, and I've been a therapist for over 30 years. Parenting can be a Plusterclucks, and I'm here to help you find your way. And I'll even tell you what to do and what to say. So Lynn, before we start, I want to ask you a personal question. From an emotional management perspective, what does one do if one is feeling just complete rage at the world? Hmm. Yeah, so that's a good question. And when we're talking about emotional management, there are a few things that you just want to pay attention to. One is that it's okay to feel that way, right? We want to say understandable. I remember long, long ago reading this really great book that said that it's important to recognize that you're having a normal reaction to an abnormal situation. So give yourself a little permission for that, right? You can't stuff this. You can't completely get rid of it, of course, like any emotion. But I think the way that we have to navigate this right now is is a few things. One is that we have to recognize the difference between macro and micro. The world feels crazy right now. It feels out of control. There's plenty to make us feel so worried and so scared and so angry. Hang on to the micro. Hang on to the people that are doing good in the world. Don't get sucked into the global narrative because that's what sucks away your hope. That's what sucks away your ability to figure out what to do next. And really just remember that rage is not an activating emotion in a positive way. So when you're feeling rage, people either lash out, right? You spew everywhere, or sometimes people completely shut down. They go inward. They start feeling, you know, as if nothing matters, that global reaction of sort of screw it. So we're going to feel the rage, but just recognize that If you can step away from it just a little bit into a place where you can be activated, where you feel like you can do something, where you feel like you can convey something important or helpful, that helps us manage this. It also does something. It's easy to get overwhelmed by this. It's easy to just get consumed by this. And we know that that type of anger, that type of rage just doesn't lead to problem solving and it doesn't lead to good active steps. So you're going to feel it, but then see if you can just, you know, I always am trying to create just a little bit of distance between what you're feeling and what you need to do. And that would probably be the advice that I would give people right now because it's tough. We did an episode earlier in the year on rage Because one of the things I've learned from you, Lynn, about emotional management is that these tools aren't just relevant for anxiety. That's right. 
And so also what we've learned, unfortunately, is that rage sort of keeps coming back. So we feel like this is a really appropriate episode to recast and that we hope it will be helpful to you and to your parenting and to your relationships because it's kind of tough right now. So Lynn, last week we talked about burnout. I want to talk today about another trend that is, I think, very disturbing and really important, which is rage. You think some people have been feeling angry lately? (laughs) Yeah. We, We have this culture of rage and burnout right now. Yeah. Rage obviously can mean a few different things. There are all of these viral videos of people just freaking out right now at a higher rate than we did. Mm -hmm. And there's data on that. The number of disturbances on an airplane now have gone through the roof by comparison. Yep. And that's a good way to measure. And I'm sure that those kinds of incidents trickle down all the way to the supermarket or the line at the post office. I've actually been talking to nurses lately, and it's really happening at hospitals. It's really happening in doctor's offices too. So in medical settings, in airports, I'm sure in supermarkets. And I think burnout and rage are connected. If we look at sort of what do they have in common, there's a few things that it has in common. One is that we know that they are socially contagious. Both of those things are socially contagious. And we also know that they have a lot to do with people feeling depleted. Not only depleted, but I think it's so helpful for us to understand that the entire world went through a pandemic. And we all carry a certain level of grief for the way the world was. Mm -hmm. And when we are all walking around knowing, and of course, some people had much more intense things taken away from them than others. Mm -hmm. Everyone still had something taken away. And so we're all walking around in this state of grief that, again, this is what makes me think about this emotional experience of how did the pandemic compare with those who did live in the greatest generation after the war, when so many people were affected, I still think that the pandemic, in some weird ways, has created a greater sense of isolation, a greater sense of loneliness, a greater sense of disconnection Mm -hmm. than we've ever seen. Well, and the other thing too, is that after the greatest generation, the country was united people came back. Think of all the things that were put in place for people to get their feet back on the ground. What followed after that was a time of sort of prosperity and a time of like, look what we did. We don't have any of those feelings now. I mean, we may have like, look what we did in terms of handling this, but we're still in it. And I think that probably one of the things that people are thinking about, it was like after 9-11, this realization that things were never going to be the same, that there are going to be parts of this that are always going to be a part of our lives. And I think that's where a lot of the grief comes from too. Grief is connected to anger. Grief is connected to irritability. Grief is connected to these big, powerful emotions. The thing that's different between when we're talking about people being depressed and talking about people feeling worn out, and talking about people feeling depleted. The thing that's interesting about rage is that it has a lot of energy behind it. And I think that's what's really hard for people to deal with. That's what's really interesting, is that when you are enraged, 
you are doing what we call externalizing. Remember, I talk about anxiety and depression as internalizing disorders, where you go inside and you do the work inside with these outbursts and with this rage and with irritability. Those are very externalized behaviors. So we see them, we experience them, we get it from people. And I think that's very unnerving. You know, in my job as a travel advisor, there's a lot of times where something just didn't turn out the way someone expected it to, right? Something fell short of their expectations Mm -hmm. in travel since COVID. And the person who has that happen might be more enraged and act out more than they might have in 2018. Mm -hmm. And what I observe, the adaptability that was forced upon us, some people like you go with the flow, other people, it's like if they have an adaptability muscle or a tolerance muscle, these muscles are just fatigued and spent. There's just like nothing left. So there's nothing more but then to like fight back. Right. When we look at the research, and it's funny, whenever, whenever I'm thinking about something, and I'm writing a book now, so I'm always looking at all this stuff. You look at the research, if you look at the academic research, they always phrase things in a way that sort of make me laugh. Like I sort of think like, do you actually talk to people, researchers? But one of the ways they describe irritability, you know, severe irritability returns into anger. And we talk about people have a bad temper. The way they talk about it is a blocked goal attainment. Isn't that a funny phrase? But it's like you want something and something gets in your way, which is what I talk about all the time with anxiety is that how do you handle unexpected events? And so when you think about this rage and we think about blocked goal attainment, they also talk about your relationship to rewards, whether or not you get one or you don't. Some people are just better at handling that than others. That when something is denied you, that's one of the real triggers that sparks rage, outbursts, anger, all this externalizing behavior. So you think about what you're talking about with your people that you're booking trips for. They've got this goal. They've got this reward they're looking for. And then something gets in the way of it and they lose it. You're denying me beach chairs. Yes, that that can be one (laughs) of the things. You're denying me beach chairs. Yeah. Well, and if you think about it, you know, with little kids, like just say that that's what we work with kids on, right? Little kids is that you want something and then you can't get it. Oh, let's go get an ice cream cone. And then you drive to the ice cream place and oh my gosh, they just closed. Or you go to the ice cream place, their favorite flavor is gone and they just lose it because that's a very primitive response. Let's take a quick break and we'll talk more about that. I am really working on improving my diet by making sure that I get the best quality products, organic foods, and I really want to make sure that I'm not using harsh chemicals in my home. Thrive Market is my go-to for all of my grocery and household essentials, the convenience of getting everything online and then quickly shipped to my doorstep. That is a huge time saver. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories. I can use their filters to suit my lifestyle needs. So maybe you're looking for organic snacks for your kids, or maybe you're gluten-free. As a Thrive Market member, I save money on every single grocery order. 
You will too. On average, I save over 30% each time. They even have a deals page that changes daily, always has some of my favorite brands. When you join Thrive Market, you're also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. So join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash flusterclucks for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash flusterclucks. Thrivemarket.com slash flusterclucks. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. So when you're a parent, you're going to have your fair share of big talks with your kids, right? About all sorts of big topics. One of those big talks should involve money. And Greenlight can help with that. Greenlight is a debit card and a money app that's made for families. It allows you to do instant money transfers. You can get real-time notifications of spending. You can manage chores. You can automate allowance. I know with my kids, we really wanted to help them see the cause and effect, right? If you spend money now, you're not going to have it later. If you earn money now and you save it, maybe you can put it towards some big purchase that you're looking forward to. This is called financial literacy, and it allows kids to build independence, to learn how money works, to make them better savers, better spenders. The Greenlight app also comes with an in-app financial literacy game. It's called Level Up, so that kids can build money confidence through videos, bite-sized challenges, mini games, and more. More than 6 million parents and kids use Greenlight to learn how to make responsible financial choices. So stop putting off the money talk and start putting your kids on the right path. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash fluster. That's greenlight.com slash fluster to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash fluster. Okay, we're back. Let's bring this now back into family culture. Like, I think we can all see that when the viral videos of people behaving badly, let's go back to that family's culture. I think it's very common and age appropriate for very young children to be really upset. But what do you think is like a good trajectory of outgrowing that? And what are the skills parents need to pay attention to that help the ability for children to be like, okay, can't win them all? Mm -hmm. You say that a lot, right? So we're modeling. So little kids, like if we look at the age groups, little kids, toddlers, that's when they have temper tantrums. That's when they have outbursts. If you have a nine-year-old, if you have a 12-year-old, if you have a 42-year-old that is still having these outbursts, the skill that they haven't learned is not that they're not going to feel disappointed. They're going to feel irritated. They're even going to feel angry. But how do you then take a step back? First of all, you validate the way they're feeling. I know this must be so disappointing that you're not able to do this. I'm feeling disappointed too. Gosh, it's so frustrating when we have an idea in our head of how things are going to go and then it doesn't work out that way. We can even say, this just isn't fair, is it? So you use that language, you give them, remember that emotional literacy, you give them that ability to put it into words. So instead of screaming and throwing themselves on the floor, if they're not two or three, they say, you know what, mom, I feel so frustrated that this didn't happen. 
I can give you a very good example. My son, my younger son, went to the Buffalo Bills Patriots game that just happened. And were huge Patriots fans. They got cheap tickets. They drove seven hours, he and his buddies. The game, of course, went horribly if you're a Patriots fan. It was also zero degrees out. And when they got out of the stadium, they couldn't get a taxi or an Uber back to their motel that they were staying, which was a total dive. They had to fix the lock on the door while they were at the football game. I was talking to him about how they handle that because we were talking about people who don't handle that well compared to people that do handle that well. And he was talking about his different friends. They had to wait two hours in minus 10 degrees to find an Uber. They finally went to a cop and they said, we don't know how we're going to get out of here. There were Uber scams going on. Cars kept promising they were going to come pick them up and never showed up. He said it was so, so awful. And he said that he could see in his friends, one of his friends just like was holding his phone and was just like, I can't believe this is happening to us. Another one of his friends just was like cold. It sort of like went into his shell and was just standing there freezing. And my son said, because we were talking about different temperaments, he said, I was the one who kept saying, we can get through this. We can get through this. This is going to end. He was saying to his friend, I know you're cold. This is going to end. We're going to figure it out. And it was really interesting as he was talking to me about this, that these different ways of responding, talk about blocked goal attainment, right? They're freezing cold. They're in a city that they don't even know anything about. They're just trying to get back to their crappy motel room. Well, one of the things that's interesting is that I heard you give talks, shall we say, to your son. And I have a very specific memory because I was relatively new to the family. Mm -hmm. I think it was like his fourth birthday and we were all sitting down to have a cake. And I don't remember what it was, but it was not what he wanted in that moment. <laughs> yeah. So he's like freaking out and he's the youngest in the family at this point. Mm -hmm. This lady practices what she preaches, folks. So she bursts into this whole story talking to her little four-year-old who's freaking out about a little fox and a little rabbit and the little <laughs> fox has a birthday party and the rabbit is blah, blah, blah. And you just like went on to this whole thing. And I hadn't even become a parent yet. And I'm just kind of like <laughs> listening like, Mm, this is fun. Yeah, right. Like, oh my God. Right. What is wrong with this person? Like, shut up. Yeah. No, 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 no. No, but I was like, okay, well, that's, that's, a, that's an interesting way to parent. You know, like, I didn't know, but you took those moments and you helped him come out of his freak out. You made him understand the situation and you also showed a better way for him to respond. You were instilling these skills. So I'm just saying that, you know, if he had had a different mom, he might have been enraged yelling at the cop. Like, what we do matters. Yeah, what we do matters. And also, just so you know, like, he didn't start out, we used to call him the London Air Raid Siren, because when he was little, <laughs> could, and he didn't get what he wanted, he would go, Wah! like that, like the under the, so it wasn't like he was this really easygoing kid. I mean, neither of my kids were, I mean, they're pretty, you know, they have strong personalities, but thank you for remembering that. Just so you know, I used to tell a lot of stories to my kids too. So I use a lot of analogies. I use a lot of metaphors. And if you are dealing with kids, and even if you're dealing with grownups, giving an example and telling a story, I mean, don't tell your 13-year-old story about a story about a fox and a chicken, but you can give an example. You can say, you know, I really noticed I, I was in the supermarket and I noticed that blah, blah, blah. If you're in a situation with your kids and you're witnessing one of these things and you're seeing somebody behaving badly, 
you can say to them, you know, maybe in the moment, if you're able to watch from a distance or you're sort of trapped watching, or even later on, you can say, did you notice how that guy got so angry about that? Right. Did you notice the way that he was treating other people? It's really just giving your kids example after example after example of what are the options? What are the different ways to deal with this? Without sounding judgmental, and maybe that's not possible, but when you see the kids freak out in public, very rarely do you see a child who's freaking out with an attentive parent trying to talk to them in a respectful way. Yes, except that I also know, and this is something that everyone has to pay attention to, is that there are some kids that are freaking out because they have some sort of neurodiversity to use. Of the course, of term, course. Right? So we have kids that are autistic and that kind of stuff. So we as parents, and I'm actually thinking about when I'm showing models to my kids when they were little, I was much more interested in having them watch the adults that were freaking out rather than the other kids. Say more. What do you mean? So say you're in the grocery store and there is somebody in line who's being very rude about something to another adult, or there's somebody who's demanding something, like say you're in a hotel and somebody's demanding beach chairs. Those examples, those encounters were the most interesting for me to point out to my kids. When kids are freaking out and we're watching that, I tend to immediately feel bad for the parent. So I have seen a lot of kids freaking out with an attentive parent when a young child does freak out, there's the language that you gave of what you should say of acknowledging their disappointment. What would you recommend to really avoid doing as a parent? Talking too much in the moment. When your child is in the freak out, say less, right? I mean, I say this all the time. Talk less. Shut your mouth. Say a few words. Give them space. When my younger son was freaking out the London Air Raid Siren, I would say, Okay, so I know you're really upset. You can yell and scream and cry for as long as you want. I'm not going to change my response or I can't fix this problem for you, but I'm here when you need a hug or I'm here when you want to come back to me. Put that out. And then you have to be really careful just behaviorally. If you've got a kid that's prone to freaking out, don't reward that behavior by giving them what they want. So you have to be aware of that. You have to be able to tolerate that angry outburst in your child and to stay steady, to stay present, but to not talk too much, to not step in and give them what they want, to not overwhelm them with your language, and for you, of course, to not model for them that you're escalating with them. One of the interesting things is that when they look at families that have high levels of irritability that leads to anger, so frustration that leads to these angry outbursts, they look at how the parents and the child ratchet each other up. So the child starts off as feeling irritable. The child starts off as feeling, you know, wants something. The parent gets irritated with the child's irritability and then boom, off to the races. So one of the things that they do to try and interrupt that is to really work on the parent not stepping into their anger and their irritability. It all makes perfect sense. But we know that when we look at families that really go there, it's this real sort of bump, 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 bump thing that happens. And it's really being able to tolerate when your child is upset. So to not take it personally, it's hard when you're out in public, you know, you get embarrassed, you want them to stop doing what they're doing. 
You want to remove them from the situation, which is fine to do. But it's really hard when your goal is for your child to calm down, right? If that's the goal, like, I need you to calm down. We don't usually say it in a way that's helpful. We say, I need you to calm down right now, or you need to stop behaving this way. All of that ratchets it right up. What did you do if you heard your son's air siren in Target? How did you handle that? I didn't say much. I left. We left. That's what I did. I don't know that I said it this way now, but having hindsight is twenty twenty. I understand you're upset, but if you can't unfortunately be quiet, other people around need quiet guests, need quiet diners or quiet movie theater goers. Mm-hmm. If you can't join in that, we have to go. And when I said that, I always meant it. And I did have to leave. And then they sort of knew the next time. Mommy's serious. If she says we, we're going to go, if you can't stop crying and yelling. Right. But it's also always validating. I know you're upset and disappointed. Right. I know you're upset. I know you're having big feelings right now. And it sort of brings us back to the bigger thing we started off talking about is that there is a big, huge feeling of frustration and upset and missing out on things and the grief that we're feeling and what we've given up, right? There's all of that that's in us too. So we're all walking through the world with this feeling of it's not fair. And that really is bringing up a lot for adult behavior and certainly for kids' behavior. And I think the other thing that we want to pay attention to as you're talking to your kids, particularly your older kids, you know, they're on social media and they're watching these viral videos of people just losing their shit, people in airports and people in stores. And they've become sort of like this interesting thing to watch. I think it's important to talk to your kids that even though it's sort of this funny viral video, that is an adult person taking out rageful anger on somebody else. And there's somebody on the other side of that. So we can watch this person exploding and throwing things. Somebody is on the receiving end of that, whether it be a nurse, a store clerk, or a flight attendant, or fill in the blank. A school board committee member. You really want to make sure that as your kids are watching this person explode and lose it, ha ha ha, it's so funny. There's somebody in real life who's receiving that. I would absolutely say that it isn't funny, Mm -hmm. but I always say, isn't it sad? And to just remind them of that, Mm -hmm. this is a a sign of people really suffering through the pandemic and what's going on. So I want to talk about our own rage now, because it would sort of shock me if you ever lost it at someone. And I think you'd be shocked if I ever really lost it at someone. I mean, it would take a lot. Yeah, I threw a tennis ball while we were watching the Patriots game the other night. I threw a tennis ball and my husband was like shocked. I got a lot of grief for that. Wow. I'm not messing with you. (laughs) I had someone cut me off coming back from the grocery store. And that was actually, I think, what made me want to talk about this because this guy cut me off. Of course, it's not like I did anything about it. But the rage that I felt afterwards, Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, hello, rage. Everyone is in this grieving state where we've just been tapped out of so many things. Our circuits are shorter now. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to acknowledge that and have that conversation with our teens, especially because I think that the losses that they had, the teens and young adults are very, very felt. 
And it should be something that the family discusses and and not just like lets it linger and fester. Yeah. When you look at the first episode that we did, it was called When FOMO Becomes Mo. I think that was our second episode. Oh, that was our second episode. Okay. Robin's on top of the details here. When FOMO Becomes Mo, like we have missed out. How do we help our kids recover from that? I think you're exactly right that there's a combination of not only like this is unfair, but also just the depletion of having to deal with all of the things that we've had to deal with, all the things that kids have had to deal with. You know, they're tired of it. We're tired of it. Being able to acknowledge that and talk to your kids about that, sort of validate that a lot of the things they lost, they're not going to get back. That's really, really hard for kids to understand. Right. What's the expression? That's a tough pill to swallow. It is a really tough pill to swallow. You know, and I'm hearing it in the kids that I'm talking about. They really feel like their world has been irreparably changed. They really feel like things are not going to be the same for them ever again. And that's a hard thing to deal with when you're 13 or 15 or 17. So think about that and we'll be right back. How are those New Year's resolutions going? Well, many are destined to fail. But lucky for you, here's one easy resolution idea that we gave you that we can all make, and it will make your life easier. It'll be kinder to our planet, and it will transform the way you do laundry in 2024. And that is switching to EarthBreeze. EarthBreeze looks like dryer sheets, but it's ultra-concentrated laundry detergent, and it couldn't be easier. You just throw a sheet in with your laundry in any temperature, and you watch it dissolve in any wash cycle, hot or cold. There's no measuring, there's no mess, there's no fuss, there's no wasteful plastic jug. EarthBreeze fights everyday stains and odors, giving you an amazing clean every time. The best part is you'll never run out again thanks to EarthBreeze's flexible subscription that you can adjust, pause, or cancel at any time with no hidden fees or penalties. And you'll save a whopping 40% when you subscribe. Shipping's always free, and it comes in a slim cardboard envelope that saves a ton of space. So switching to EarthBreeze won't only make laundry day easier for you, but it will also be easier on the planet. So help me make plastic jugs a thing of the past. And if EarthBreeze doesn't end up being the 2024 update of your dreams, you don't even have to return it. Just let them know it's not for you and you'll get a full refund, no questions asked. Get started with EarthBreeze and save 40%. Go to earthbreeze.com slash flusterclucks. That's earthbreeze.com slash flusterclucks for 40% off your subscription. Do you think seeing a therapist or a psychiatrist would be helpful, but you don't have the time to actually find one? And then like, when do you have time to meet with them? Try Talkspace. By doing everything online, Talkspace has made getting the help you want easy, accessible, and affordable. It's in network with most major insurers. There's no need to commute to appointments. You won't miss time at work or have to line up childcare in order to attend sessions. It's mental health care made easy. Talkspace lets you send messages to your therapist so you don't have to wait for your next session. Therapy can help you shift your perspective and find tools to cope in difficult times. Talkspace is the number one online therapy platform with licensed therapists in over 40 specialties, including anxiety, depression, substance abuse, relationship issues, and much more. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $80 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster to get $80 off your first month. That's Talkspace.com slash Fluster. 
the way things are right now, it feels like a lot for people. Yeah. And when people are feeling a lot, this is why we go to rage. When people are feeling spent, their tolerance is just tapped out. Yes. They just can't take it anymore. We really have to help our kids get through this. We have to acknowledge it in ourselves. We have to acknowledge that if we're depleted, if we feel like we can't take it anymore, how do we not give our kids and give ourselves permission to be rageful? There's not many times I can think of across the board where somebody has talked to me about losing it. Somebody has talked to me about freaking out, yelling at their kids, or having a huge temper tantrum and felt that 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 was the best way they could have handled it or didn't feel a sense of regret about their inability to manage it. It happens, for sure it happens. But how do we really make sure that we're aware of the fact that tensions are high right now? And the emotional state in our country is high right now. And we are seeing these episodes of rage, demonstrations of anger and violence. We just want to make sure that they don't become normalized for our kids, that we don't begin to say, well, you know, that's what happens when. It doesn't have to be what happens when. It doesn't have to be. But I think that we actually are at a place where so much of this is normalized. And I want to make a comment that we talk about that one of the things that you dislike the most is blame. Mm -hmm. Because a blaming pattern is one of the hardest for, you've said, your clients to sort of make positive change. Mm -hmm. We talked about this a little bit in an episode around how we don't want our political beliefs to scar our children. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I have done in the last year, I have friends on the opposite political side of me. And I intentionally reach out to them and connect to them mm -hmm. because I think that one of the easiest patterns to fall into that is the most toxic and contributes to where we are right now is that we blame faceless groups of people. Mm -hmm. And when you take it out of the abstract and you keep it back to actual people we know, that is a better way to be and a better way to think about it. Yeah. When we know when people do horrible things to other groups of people, the thing that happens is called dehumanization. You dehumanize them. You think of them as so different than you that they can't be feeling or experiencing or having the same life experiences that you are. So the more that we make them faceless, the more that we make them different, the more that we decide that they don't have the same cares and hopes and dreams as we do, the more likely it is that you will be rageful toward them. And it's so helpful to connect with people who don't necessarily agree with you to learn that we all want a safe world for our kids. Mm -hmm. And there are other factors that make it feel like another group is trying to take something from you. Right. It's that feeling of threat. It really is. I mean, this is all the things that we want to teach our kids, right? These are all the important messages that we want to give our kids. If you think about all the sayings that we have, don't judge a book by its cover, although books are really judged by their cover as I try to put a cover together for a book. But there's more than what meets the eye. There's all those sayings that we have that say, get more information before you jump to a conclusion. So when we talk about those patterns that I'm always looking at, those cognitive patterns, right, going global, just making these huge statements, 
ruminating about all the things that have gone wrong, staying stuck in that place. And catastrophizing all the things that could. <laughs> catastrophizing all that could. Yeah. Yeah. Cheers out to all those fellow catastrophizers. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've been doing a fair amount of ruminating recently, and I've been catching myself because I've been mulling things over. We look at irritability and rage and anger. Irritability builds into rage. It builds into these outbursts. That's the result of something. When you are irritable, angry, rageful, that's the check engine light. When you start feeling all that stuff come on and being able to step back and say, so what's going on that's making me feel this way? Generally, it's not even about what's going on inside of you. You get angry at somebody who cuts you off on the way to the grocery store. You're not angry at that person. On a different day, you'd be like, oh, they weren't looking where they were going. But with all of this stress inside of us and with all this accumulated irritation, it's more likely for it to come flying out. So global language is professional term that you describe as a pattern of anxiety. Mm -hmm. And the example of that, again, for people is um, speaking in extremes. Nobody likes me. This always happens. You never do this. Right. It's showing a cognitive rigidity and black and white kind of thinking. Right, exactly. So what's interesting, the opposite of global is local. Right. So local thinking, when you get a little overwhelmed with the world and the news, forget faceless, nameless groups of people and just focus on the people in your world and keep everyone human. I love that. Keep everyone human. I have a friend that is on the far end of the spectrum from me in terms of beliefs, although it's been interesting what's happened over the last year. But I didn't get to see this person very much during the pandemic because we were locked down. And I think of how nice it is. I am seeing this person now several times a week. And we've had a lot of conversations and we've been sharing things again. It's really been nice to have this person back in my life. We both realized that things were getting so big and nameless and faceless, and that our individual connection is really so strong and so important to us. I think that when there is something that you feel very passionate about and you have a goal, what is it the term that you used about goal obstruction? Blocked goal attainment. Let's talk about blocked goal attainment in relation to all of this. You think there's a certain thing in the world that should happen because it is your belief that this is the way for things to be better or for things to be solved. Mm -hmm. And there is a faceless group of people who oppose that solution. Mm -hmm. And you feel a lot of rage at them because they are blocking what you would like to see happen in the world. If one member of that group is standing right in front of you and just tripped on the sidewalk and scraped open their chin, I'm hoping that we're all at the place where we help them stand up, we help them get back on their feet again. If you reach a point where you have no longer seen that person as human, what do you do? Because I think that that's like a pretty bad place to be. And I think some people are there. What would you recommend if they came into your office? 
Well, I think just as you said, that it's about putting a face and putting an experience and listening to that person and recognizing what are the goals you have in common. This is what human beings have done forever and ever and ever. And so it really is about connecting, like you say, on a local level, but on a very personal level. And if you are in that place where you cannot tolerate or cannot recognize the humanity of somebody that's separate from you or that believes something differently than you, I think that's a sign that you need to have some more interactions with people outside of whatever place that you've got yourself closed up in. How are you going to have a conversation with somebody that maybe isn't even about the differences that you have? Maybe it's about the things that you have in common. As parents, we're raising kids. No matter what we believe in, in terms of the bigger picture in the world, most parents that I would want to hang out with have the same hopes and dreams and love for their kids that I do. You know, it would be interesting if you went to a dog park and people have their dogs and they love their dogs and love to talk about their dogs. I bet there are a lot of people at the dog park that have all sorts of different political beliefs or religious beliefs or came from different places, but they're all talking about their dogs. And it just is a way to connect. It's a way to find humanity again. When we start denying the suffering of other people, when we start saying you deserve to suffer, when we start to say you get what you deserve, we've seen that in so many different ways over the last few years. Talk about rage, right? Who deserves to die? Who deserves to live? These are the things that we're hearing around us. How do we bring it back to the connection we have on a human-to-human level? What if as a parent listening, there is a member of your family, a, a child, a sibling, a parent who's gone there? Is there anything you can do where they are dehumanizing others? I think it depends on how, how much you want to try, right? Because some people will just say at this point, there's nothing I can do. And I completely understand that stance too, right? You don't have to go in and try and fix that if it's too much for you for whatever reason. But if you still have a relationship with that person, I think one of the things you can start off by saying is that it's really concerning to me or it's really confusing to me because I know a different part of you. So instead of going in there and saying like, how could you think that way? How could you feel that way? To say, it really makes me sad or it's very confusing to me or help me understand how you came to that conclusion so that you open a conversation with them. You can pull out of the conversation whenever you want, as soon as it gets to a place that you feel like it's not productive. But it's okay to, to say to them, to talk to them about your concern that they've gone to this place that you didn't see in them before, that that's not who they were before. And how did this happen? And how did they get there? And I think that's one of the things that we're seeing. So to be able to say to somebody, it really makes me sad, or it's very confusing to me, or it seems that our relationship has changed and I don't like the way that we think about each other anymore. You can open that conversation. I think that's a really interesting take on it. When I think of the people I know in my own life who sort of venture into that category, 
I look at that rage, I look at that dehumanization, I look at that as a trajectory of their own injuries. And I see disconnection, you could universally say that there's a lot of disconnection happening. So if you have a loved one who you know, that disconnection is really filtering a lot of powerful negative stuff for them. Mm -hmm. Is there something to do to offer that connection or to help them think about going in the connection path instead of the disconnection path that they're on? Because that's what's become normalized for them. So what's interesting about this is that when you look at human beings, one of the ways, and this is how I think about clients, because I was taught to think about this way, and it's been really helpful is what are they too connected to and what are they disconnected from? Mm. You might have somebody that you're feeling really disconnected from because of the way that they're handling things or you're seeing their rage, but they may feel incredibly connected to another group that sort of feeds that. So whenever we have disconnection, when you're experiencing disconnection or when you're looking at somebody and saying they're really disconnected from something, Also pay attention to what are they really connected to, because that helps you see both sides of it. That helps you see the full picture of it. There are people who are really, really connected to their rage right now. They're really connected to that. What does that mean they're disconnected from? Are they disconnected from their compassion? Are they disconnected from their kindness? Are they disconnected from, you know, who knows what? If you think about how can I connect to this person? And if you also ask yourself, what are they connected to? You can also ask yourself this. If you are listening to this and you are feeling like, yeah, gosh, I've really gotten sort of sucked into this whole rage thing. Like I've really got a lot of rage going to say to yourself, what is it about this rage thing that feels so connected to me? What am I connecting to? And what do I need to disconnect from? So really paying attention to yourself and paying attention to the people around you. And then how do you connect on a level that feels possible. And again, for some people, it's not going to be possible. This isn't about saying like you should fix all these relationships perhaps that have gone awry. But if you can think about how you can connect on small things, let's go back to the example of you're watching somebody go through the grocery store line and they're just being a jerk. How can you look at that person and just give them a smile and say, looks like a rough day or boy, I've been there or something like that. We've all been there where we've seen a parent having a really difficult time with a child and we just give them a knowing glance. You sort of put your hand on your heart and say like, oh, I've been there. That's a moment of connection for somebody who's struggling. I am not saying that we all need to go out into the world and be love warriors and share our empathy and compassion with the world, especially if you're feeling depleted yourself. But I think probably what I'm saying is That if over these past few years, if you have found yourself closing off, if you have found yourself feeling just more hopeless and more irritated and more frustrated with the other human beings around you, either the ones that are close to you or the ones that are out there in the world, just look for opportunities to give yourself an experience to feel connected and to just have an experience that allows you to notice the humanity of other people just to give yourself just a little shot of what we're capable of, a little boost of what we're capable of. Stay away as much as you can from just sort of the constant rage that's coming at us because it's coming through the news. It's coming on social media. It's a steady diet of 
you should be angry. I can't say we shouldn't be angry about a lot of things, but how are you going to manage that in yourself so that you don't lose your connection with your humanity and the humanity of all the people around you? So Lynn, I think what you're saying, and I think what we want to say is that we stay very on top of current events and we understand why there is a lot of rage and why a lot of change is being asked from Mm -hmm. so many different people and so many different groups. You and I are both enraged a lot. Yeah. I mean, I don't want anyone listening to this thinking that I'm saying like, don't be so mad, right? I mean, I'm really mad. I am so mad. So I think my point is, and I think our point is, and I, I want this to come across, is how do you manage this rage because uncontrolled, externalized, shrapnel rage isn't going to get us what we need. It's not going to give our kids what we need. Everything as I'm talking about this, I just don't want to sound sort of like I'm up here saying like, oh, you have nothing to be angry about. No, we have a shit ton to be angry about. It's how do we help ourselves and our kids get through this really, really difficult time? Give that woman a tennis ball. Yeah. I mean, I don't throw things a lot. I mean, but boy, I feel like I want to throw things a lot. I guess that's the difference. I try not to actually throw things. Give that girl a tennis ball. Woo! Yeah. (laughs) I could even feel a tennis ball being hit at me (laughs) as you said that. (laughs) Oh, speaking of rage and tennis balls, have you watched any more of Never Have I Ever with John McEnroe? No. You just watched the two episodes? Yeah, because I'm into cheer. Okay, I'll watch more. Have you watched all of it, or are are they still coming out? I've seen the first two seasons. Okay. And it's amazing. Okay. Mindy Kaling, man, she rocks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll keep watching it. He does a good job for talking about rage. I mean, that's actually what the show is about. It's about a high school girl who has a very hard time regulating her rage. Mm -hmm. She acts up and enraged. She makes bad choices that have consequences. And she's struggling to sort of learn that. I mean, it's a great show interesting that we're watching this show. It's called Never Have I Ever. And the person who's narrating it, speaking of tennis balls and rage, is John McEnroe. I mean, he's the narrator. How brilliant to have him be the narrator who came up with that. He uses the phrase hotheads a lot. I think that's the point is that right now, we're all feeling a little hothead John McEnroe, and we might not have in 2017 Mm -hmm. or 2011. Yeah. It's a new feeling for a lot of us, isn't it? So join our Facebook community so you can ask Lynn a question and connect with our listeners. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Fluster Clucks. Bye, Robin. Bye, Lynn. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, 
You are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.